Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about Debian and closure with Alana Hashman, the project lead of the Debian closure team. Welcome to the show, Alana. Hello. So today we're going to be talking a bit about Debian and your efforts with packaging Linegin and Clojure and all of those sort of interrelated aspects there. So to kind of start us off, do you want to give us a history of Linegin on Debian? Sort of where did we come from? Sort of what was the state of things you know back in the past? Yeah. So uh, I guess when I was digging around, I discovered at some point. Uh, so. A lot of the Clojure ecosystem in Debian had basically been unmaintained since about 2013 or so. Uh, and a lot of that work had been done by a Debian GSOC student, uh, Google Summer of Code. So a student came on like for uh, three or four months, they worked on a bunch of these packages, they had a mentor, and then they kind of disappeared. So I guess uh, like Conj in uh, 2016 or 2017, uh, Tom Marble was like bugging me, uh, must have been 2016. He's like, you know, Alana, we need more women in Debbie and you should like package Linegan and like here, meet Rob Browning. Like he's the Emacs maintainer and like star power. And I was like, oh, that seems like not a good use of my time. Why would I do that? Uh, and then I guess like three months later, I'm like, I like a challenge. Uh, maybe I will try this. And so I went and kind of like tried to piece together like what had happened. But basically, like there were some maintainers. Uh, they had released Linegan up to like 1.7 in Debian, and then they basically, a bunch of the maintainers disappeared. In order to like reestablish a lot of this community, I was like, you know, setting up an IRC channel and like setting up or reestablishing a mailing list and that kind of thing. And so I was trying to get someone to give me ops powers on the IRC channel. Uh, and so I found one of the ops. I was like, hey, can you give me ops? And he was like, don't do it don't like try to revive closure in Debian. It ruined my life. Like you're making a mistake. <laughs> and I was like, what? Okay. I guess I was a lot more dedicated than uh, those folks. Cause it sounded like they, a lot of them had not previously contributed to Debian decided that this was going to be like the hill they were going to die on and then gave up on that. So now I'm basically maintaining almost all of the closure packages uh, in Debian. There are a few exceptions. Uh, there is a team and some folks do sort of, poke away at some of them. For example, Apollon is working on like Puppet Server, and there's a bunch of closure components of that, and I don't really touch those. Uh, and Sean Witten's working on a bunch of like uh, Emacs integrations for closure, and I don't touch any of those either. But uh, I maintain the core language package and uh, line again and all of their dependencies. Great. And so was this your first introduction to packaging on Debian? Yes, I had not previously packaged software for Debian before. I had like, I had maintained uh, Debian systems as a sysadmin for I don't know five years, uh, and I had been using Debian or Ubuntu for I guess about se- well even more than seven years at that point because I think my first Ubuntu installation was in two thousand six. But I had never tried to build any packages before, and I was kind of like, oh, it's like scary. Like, why would I want to do this? It's like a lot of work and. I'm maintain. Uh, I'm not getting paid, and like I'm gonna be doing this forever. And definitely, I feel like a little bit of you're going to do this forever uh, these days. Uh, hard to fit in your spare time, but uh, also pretty satisfying when people are like, "Thank you so much for doing this." Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I can imagine it was. It was a lot of effort to get there because uh, my. I guess when I sort of came to closure, I saw all the the recommendations. I don't know if they were official or not, but certainly the. The word of mouth I got was, you know, don't use any package manager to install Linegin. 
because they're all out of date. Um, if you want it, you should install it from the, the direct uh, source. And so that was kind of what I took from it. But uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad there's more options uh, out there. Yeah, that definitely was not unreasonable when 1.7 was the only line again available in Debian and like 2.0 had been released. But yeah, I, I took a look at a lot of the other distributions and like they're either similarly behind or like the packages are broken. And so uh, I really wanted to like produce a high quality package that I personally could use because I was very frustrated about having to like curl this random binary into a shell. I wanted it in my package manager. So I thought, oh, I can do this thing. Uh, and then I can solve this problem for myself. And then maybe other people will benefit from that. And it's been very satisfying to be able to apt install line again. Nice. So what's involved in creating a Debian package? So Debian packages in theory are just the original source code tarball plus a bunch of paperwork. And so like the main sort of portion of that paperwork is this thing called a rules file, which is basically like a modified make file. And so a lot of the like scariness or like difficulty in building a Debian package is like making sure that like this rules file builds something that's policy compliant, but like actually just producing a deb that will install thing on your system is pretty straightforward. You just have a tarball and you have like a little bit of paperwork and it basically gets like untarred, potentially built and then installed on a system once you install the deb format. That's basically all there is to it, although that may seem like a huge simplification. Really, it's all this arcane policy knowledge and like the tools that help you implement policy that uh, a lot of the complexity comes in. And so are those policies sort of legal as well as sort of technical or what, what does it mean? They're all like sort of, I guess, technical and social. So the idea that, for example, your configuration files, they have to live in uh, slash Etsy and, uh, you know, your, your various like binaries need to live in like user bin uh, and, you know, uh, all of the Maven uh packages that you produce, like the palm has to be installed in this location, and the jar has to be installed in this location. And all of these policies are basically sort of this collective way of specifying, like, this is how the system works together. And if you violate that, then like somebody's machine isn't going to work properly. So like, we will be bad at you and tell you to fix it, or we will fix it for you. So the policy is like, it's mostly technical, uh, but a lot of it is not like specifically technical, like if you don't do this, it won't work. But rather, if you don't do this, like, things will not work together. Uh, so it's sort of this like interesting set of social and technical rules that like cause the operating system to all work together. Nice. So you mentioned before uh, that uh, the concept of a high quality package that you were talking about, some packages were you know, not as good as others. What does it mean to make a high quality package? That's a good question. And I was uh, not to throw shade at other distributions, but uh, like most of the packages, well, both in Debian and also in some cases in other distributions, when I refer to a low quality package, like if I install the package and it doesn't work, that is a low quality package. And there are like a lot of those. Uh, like if I get the source code for a package and it doesn't build, but somehow there's a binary in the repo, that's a low quality package because like nobody else can build it from source. Uh, so who the heck knows how it got built in the first place? It is a mystery. If it's uh, like 10 years out of date, uh, hopefully probably won't get 10 years out of date, but even like three years out of date when there are newer releases available, that's a low quality package because you're not tracking upstream very closely. I would also argue, although I'm sure many folks at Debian would disagree with me, uh, that if you fail to like express in your package the intent of the upstream packager, 
that that is also a, a low quality package. So for example, if like I go and I take line again and I put it in Debian, but then I like patch a bunch of stuff such that line again and Debian, which is still called line again, does not work properly with like the Debian that like, uh, or sorry, the line again that like Phil Hagelberg publishes, then like, I would say that's a bad package. Other folks would disagree with me and probably say, well, the whole point of distributions is so that we can patch these things. But I think that as far as expectations of users go, they just want the thing in their operating system to work the way that the upstream thing works. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That seems like a pretty sensible kind of thing to want. So so you said in in theory or in the best case, you can just sort of take the tarball and that's it. Um, but I imagine that uh, you know, sometimes you might need to write some patches and apply the patches before, yes. before you actually do the build. What's that like for Linegan? Yeah, so Linegan uh, was luckily pretty easy to patch. Uh, there was not a lot of work that we had to do with it. There was some work uh, that needed to be done. The biggest and most sort of like, uh, I guess, trivial thing is that as you're probably aware, most closure uh, like project.closure files, they hard code specific versions of dependencies down to like a patch version, even if like, say, plus one of the patch will still work. And so uh, a lot of the patches are just me trying to get all of the versions to line up. Otherwise, uh, line again won't build because it says I can't find this dependency that I have a strict dep on. And so that is unfortunate. Uh, but the other versions do work. Uh, so that is probably the majority of the patches done. Uh, there is one other patch, uh, and that is basically just some build parameters. So I don't want it to go reach out to Maven Central. I want it to use all of the various packages within Debian to build. So the other patches are to force it to build offline so it doesn't try to go to the internet to get stuff that it depends on, and to point it towards the Debian Maven repo. That's basically it. Nice. And so for you to build Linegan, you also, I assume, needed to build all of its dependencies and their dependencies and so on all the way down yes to kind of get them all together so that sounds that sounds like a much larger job than just one one single uh package yeah absolutely uh so when i first started working on this uh basically sort of my approach was well maybe i'll just try to do some of the paperwork and coordination like i'll be a project manager and i'll just like tell people the work and maybe if i just like document all the work other people will do it and so uh, I did not really succeed at that goal. Uh, I, I did succeed a little bit like uh, the, the fellow that I mentioned before, Apollon. Uh, he ended up packaging some of the things that I needed when he was working on Puppet Server. But for the most part, like, I put this out there and then, like, you know, it, it ended up being this, like, massive, long dependency tree and dependencies of dependencies. So there was just this step in which it was kind of like, okay, what do we have? What do we need? What versions don't match? That kind of thing. And so... I came up, okay, there's this list of like new things we need to upload. There are these versions we need to patch. And then there are all these things that will already work. And so once I sort of had that list and then nobody really worked on them, I was like, well, you know, I guess I've sort of broken it down step by step. I could maybe do this <laughs> uh, and then started chipping away at it. So, but if you go and you look at the, uh, the original bug report. So in Debian, when you want to like add a new package to Debian, uh, you file a special bug against a special package, uh, the like works needed in prospective packages, fake package, uh, indicating that you want this package. Uh, and this bug is either called a request for package, i.e. I want this package to be in Debian, but I don't want to do any work. Or you file an intent to package or an ITP, which says I am going to do this package. Uh, so I'm working on this. And like, here is sort of my log of where I am in that process. And so I basically like 
somebody had owned the uh, Linegan ITP, but he went incognito, like he just disappeared. So I was like, uh, I guess I'll just pick this up. And he didn't object. So yeah, that, that's a really interesting point there. So, you know, like with open source projects, you know, there's kind of no, it's not like a job where, you know, so people just show up every day. And if they don't show up, you know, you can fire them. You know, you can't fire someone from their own open source project. But it seems like Debian sort of has some tools or social norms in place where, you know, if someone doesn't respond for long enough that, you know, you can say, well, I'm going to take over this this thing that you're managing. Is that sort of how it works or? Yes. Debian is like almost extreme in this case because Red Hat, for example, and like, you know, the, the sort of families of Linuxes that are born of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which is like CentOS and Fedora and whatnot, fundamentally there's like a company backing them. There, there's someone like dictating the direction at a corporate level, you know, CentOS or, or Fedora can patch things if they like. Uh, but there's fundamentally a, some fundamentally a company backing all of those efforts. Uh, when you look at Ubuntu, similarly, Canonical is like backing that stuff. When you look at SUSE Linux, SUSE is backing that stuff. But Debian is just like this anarchist collective of random people. And the only <laughs> reason it seems to work is that there's these social rules that like people follow. It's like really fascinating that it works at all. Uh, like that was, I think, one of the big things for me, like learning how the system worked, like learning all of these really weird arcane social rules and then sort of like working accordingly within that system. And so like our bug tracker is this massive mailing list, basically, uh, which is really weird compared to other projects. Like usually there's a web UI you can interact with the bug tracker and nope, Debian, everything has to be over email. Uh, IRC not being that uncommon, but like frequently I could not get anything done unless I was able to go poke people on IRC, which is not necessarily true of other projects. And then like, I guess the, the, the biggest lesson that I learned is in Debian, like the most powerful thing that you can do, like it's basically like this consensus based project. So people will argue with you until the cows come home. But fundamentally, if you do the work, people have a much less grounds to argue with. So the uh, <laughs> proverbial law of two feet is very powerful in Debian. Like if you go and be like, well, I packaged the thing. So too bad if you don't think it was going to be done this way. And that's good because you didn't do it. It's a very interesting community, unlike any uh, FOSS community that I've worked in previously. Yeah, I was wondering about that because you mentioned you were packaging other dependencies for Linegan. Um, presumably they weren't packaged before. But what happens if someone else comes along, say the puppet server people, and they look at what you've done and say, well, yeah, that, that wasn't correct or that, that what you did doesn't work for us? Yeah, I had to go back and like fix a bunch of packages that had previously been done because even though they were in Debian, like they weren't in the Maven repo. So Linegan couldn't find them. Uh, so there's a lot of like, you know, uh, now I'm like, you know, knees deep in this. So you try to find that maintainer and it turns out that maintainer is a team and there's no one on the team. Well, that sort of situation is really easy because you just declare yourself to be on the team and you go and fix <laughs> the thing. Uh, but like for other things, uh, so for example, I broke Puppet Server. I broke it terribly. And I was like, hey, Apoikos, I'm like about to break Puppet Server. Like, here's why. Like, is this okay? Because I'm going to make it like uninstallable. And he was like, yeah, it doesn't build right now anyways, but like I have like this release that's frozen and it does work. So like, don't worry about it. I'll fix it later. Uh, and that's sort of like the best case scenario. There are not so best case scenarios where you might get into this big 
technical arguments and no one agrees. And like, you know, fundamentally, you can't really find a compromise because there isn't one. And in situations like that, uh, like if it gets really bad, uh, you would like escalate to the Debian, uh, the technical committee. Uh, and in theory, you know, they're supposed to come down and uh, make the final decision. And of course, all of their final decisions have frequently been very unpopular, <laughs> uh, at least for a short period of time. So, for example, they were the deciding voices in uh, the init system that Debian adopted. Uh, they were the deciding voices in whether or not Node.js could use the user bin node uh, binary or not. Uh, initially, they said no. Later, they said yes. Uh, so... Uh, yes, it, frequently if things get so bad that they go to the, the technical committee, you're probably going to be on like Linux Weekly News or something and you're going to have a bad time. So you want to avoid getting there if at all possible. And so you mentioned there's a, a Debian Maven repository. So is that a place where you can build packages the Debian way, store them there and then use them as Maven dependencies for other other projects? Yeah, I mean, it's just like a normal old Maven repository. Uh, and it's uh, like on Debian systems, it's located at user share Maven repo. And like user share Maven repo is just this whole massive Maven repository of everything that's in Debian. So I mean, maybe it's well, and what is currently installed on the system. Uh, so uh, there's some interesting project trying to inventory everything that was potentially installable in there that I have not been following closely, but somebody mentioned on a mailing list. Um, but basically like all of the closure stuff, uh, is installable into this Maven repo and therefore I can use it. Uh, and all is, uh, therefore packaged for Debian and accessible. And so like, if you want to target, uh, Debian as a platform, when you're building some application, you can just go and like point your Maven repo at user share Maven repo and install everything that you need from like aptitude. Uh, and it should all be there and everything will be happy and fun in theory. In theory. But you only get one version. That is a weird quirk of uh, the Debian Maven uh. repo. So, uh, like, it, there's actually a helper tool uh, that will go and replace all of the versions in your POM file with, like, whatever the version number is to Debian. Uh, and so, obviously, this doesn't work if there's more than one version of that thing in Debian. So, sometimes you'll see, uh, like, Clojure, for example... Uh, rather than replacing that version number with Debian, I replace it with 1.8.x for 1.8 and 1.9.x for 1.9. So they can both be in the Maven repo, but not mutually installable. Uh, and so there's this whole like set of like not super well documented, but nonetheless existing like Maven rules that you can use uh, for processing your uh, your palms. And it will, in theory, automatically just do all the processing and make the things work. So, so this sounds like a lot of work. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of paperwork and processes and a bunch of things that you have to do to, you know, get a Debian package in, and then you've got to maintain it. So, tell me on why why should I care about that, or why should anyone care about using Debian packages rather than just installing Line again from GitHub? Yeah, that's that's an awesome question. Uh, so, I mean. From the end user perspective, I mean, the biggest thing is like, I've already got tools on my system that allow me to install Debian packages. And like, for users that are not necessarily super sophisticated, like when I started using Linux, like over 10 years ago, uh, you know, when I go and I poke around, like, I'm not using the command line, I'm not typing in like apt get install, I'm not curling random things into a root shell. I'm like clicking and being like software system, I want to install this thing. 
Uh, and so we've already got all that pre-existing infrastructure that makes it really easy for end users, that makes that software discoverable, which is kind of cool. Adding like, you know, I got a curl root tarball with like, I can't even remember the flags to unzip a tarball. Like that's, <laughs> that can be really challenging for end users. Uh, and so like being able to smooth over that user experience while a lot of work, I think like if that increases the accessibility of the software, then I am 100% all for it, uh, even if it is a lot of work. In terms of other tangible benefits for users, the good news about like Debian, the OS, or Ubuntu, the OS, or uh, whatever your distribution is, all of that software has been tested together. Uh, and so like if I install Linegan uh, from the Debian repos, like I know it should work. And I know it's not going to conflict with like, I don't know, some weird version of Java. Like I remember I had a coworker, uh, this was a couple of years ago. And so like, Debian stable only had like Java 6 and Java 7 or something like that. And everything was recommending you use Java 8. And they're like, I don't know how to install Java 8 because I don't know how to use backports. And so, you know, if there was a Linegan and Debian that have been architected specifically to be used with those versions of Java, you know, it would, if I typed in app get install Linegan, it would go and install those Javas for them and make sure that like it was the right version and everything was compatible. Whereas like if I'm just curling something from some uh, into a shell, I don't know if I'll have the right versions of all of the dependencies I need. So those are sort of, I think, the most direct things that like obviously benefit like end users uh, at like any level of sophistication. Uh, beyond that, I care a lot about free software and being able to like independently build stuff from source, I think is really important, even if it is incredibly trying amounts of work. And like Debian is a 100% free distribution so like anything that i download and install like from the debian repos like it has to build from source and i can go and download it like i can just say uh apt get source line again and then like cd into that folder and like run deb build and it will build for my system uh and that's super cool i think like the ability to be able to say yeah, i want to be able to like build this entire thing from source personally uh, if I want that, because then I can patch it and I can understand it. Then in terms of like, you know, sort of like other sort of tangential things that may not necessarily impact end users as much, uh, having separate people distributing software from the people writing the software can help improve accountability of the upstream developers. So one of the things that like Linegan is known for is having a lot of dependencies. Like, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can make distribution a lot more difficult because, oh my God, I need to like have like 20 million things in order to install and build line again. And like one of the things we managed to do when I started packaging this for Debian, Phil has been uh, incredibly supportive and helpful and has been awesome. And like we just pared down a bunch of the dependency tree and like got rid of like these massive things we were pulling in in order to build line again that we didn't need, like we could have just used, you know, the standard library, but we pulled them in because we thought that they would be useful. And so there's a like nice sort of like accountability process there in which I'm like, hey, you like pulled in like all of this massive JSON processing library, but you already have data XML and like you need like two lines. Maybe we could just not use that because that's going to be a lot of work to package. And so like that happened and that was great. For a lot of users of Debian, they're not necessarily like in San Francisco and like on a super fast internet connection with like a super modern machine. Like they may be on dial up. They may be in the middle of nowhere. They may be on a very old uh, piece of hardware. 
And so being able to like shave like, I don't know, five megabytes off of that binary size may actually make like a tangible benefit for their user experience. Uh, and then there's also some security benefits of having uh, an operating system backing your package. Uh, if CVEs need to be issued, uh, Debian is one of the few organizations that actually can issue a CVE. And we make sure that the stuff gets fixed. And then we go and talk to upstream and we're like, hey, there's a security problem with this thing. So for example, I discovered that there was like a relatively serious like security issue with pomegranate uh, in like a previous release. Uh, and so that sort of thing, uh, well, you know, end users are not necessarily seeing like, oh, oops, I like have HTTPS validation turned off by default when I'm getting things with pomegranate. It's really bad for them. So lots of benefits, I think, even though it is a lot of work and a lot of stuff that's probably not going to necessarily be visible to an end user, not being able to see all this stuff behind the scenes. Sure. Do you want to just touch on what, what a CVE is and why that's important? Oh, sure. Uh, let me like look up the acronym because I can never remember it. It's like common vulnerability something or other. Yeah, I always get the first two letters and then can never remember. Yeah, common vulnerabilities and exposures. So uh, basically there is like this cybersecurity organization, um, Meter, and they like maintain this list of all these security bulletins uh, like which are sort of colloquially referred to as CVEs for common vulnerabilities and exposures, frequently in open source software, but uh, also sometimes in proprietary software. And they're like, oh, there's all sorts of like security industry software built up around this stuff. So for example, like I can install this vendor product and it will scan my system and it will see, oh, I have this version of Firefox and that version of Firefox is vulnerable to this vulnerability. And this vulnerability was rated like medium severity. So uh, like there's a lot of like security policies. Uh, I used to work for a managed security organization. So for example, the uh, PCI standards, the payment card industry standards say that like, you know, if it's a high severity thing, it must be patched within 30 days. And if it's like a lower severity thing, it must be patched in some time period. And so being able to like get those vulnerabilities into this common place to notify everyone and then all of these products build off of this ecosystem to keep everybody's software secure it's uh, pretty important, even though you may not see all of that machinery behind the scenes. Yeah. So, so let's say uh, you had a particular version of Linegan out, uh, and it was using this effective version of Pomegranate, and people were using it. And then, you know, some time passed, a new version of Linegan came out, and you know, someone discovers this problem. What happens then? That's a really good question because I thought that Linegan was actually like vulnerable uh, in this case when I found this security vulnerability in Pomegranate. So I like did two things. The first thing was that I tried to get Pomegranate assigned its own distinct CVE and I failed to do so. Like basically uh, they told me to just use the pre-existing one, but like people don't keep track of closure software very much. So like it's very hard without me being able to say like, hey, like CVE crowd, like this random piece of closure software that you don't care about is also vulnerable. Uh, in Linegan, it turns out that it wasn't because they had like patched in a different version of Wagon, which wasn't vulnerable. But in like a case like that, suppose it was, Debian usually, if it's already public, then you know you go and you you try to like fix the thing and then you you publish a patch in a certain timeline. Uh, if it's not already public, you go and you talk to the security team confidentially, you attempt to get the patch out and then you make an announcement. And there are certain timelines that you will like have to get the thing patched uh, or otherwise the security team will be very upset with you uh, and potentially step in to do the patch themselves. 
but uh, there are like expected timelines in terms of security support that like if a vulnerability is discovered, you have to get that patch software out. And if that vulnerable software was in a previous release of Debian, like say this current stable release, which isn't receiving new versions, you have to like find a way to patch it to like the secure version, uh, which can potentially be a lot of work uh, and do this thing called a stable release upload, uh, which tends to be a very very heavy process because you have to deal with all of this, like, you know, very rigorous testing to make sure you're not breaking people's systems, but also ensuring that they're getting that security benefit. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because my, my experience with, uh, you know, installing packages is, you know, again, often the sort of the upstream projects say, don't use whatever's the system one, they're way behind, use our package repository instead, because we put the latest versions in there. But I mean, that's their perspective. Uh, Kind of, what do you see from your side, and sort of, what's the the arguments against just having sort of new versions always rolling in? Yeah. So, um, if you want to use an operating system like Debian that is getting new versions, you don't have to use stable. Like that is the key thing. Like if you want to have a system that potentially is more likely to be broken, but is on newer versions of things, you don't have to use Debian stable. So Debian has like sort of three release tranches. There's the stable release, the testing release, and the unstable release. Uh, and so when I, as a developer, am going to like upload a new version of Wineigan or something like that, I always upload directly into unstable. And so unstable is like frequently broken. Uh, like it doesn't work properly. Uh, like I know because I've tried to like build things against unstable, it didn't work because something else was broken. And that's fine. There is a gating process between unstable and testing to prevent like broken stuff from breaking people's systems. So unstable is kind of like a development uh, repository of packages. And then uh, if certain criteria are met, i.e. a certain amount of time has passed, some package tests have been passed, nobody files any really mean bugs against the package, that kind of thing, uh, then it gets automatically promoted into the testing repository after usually five days, but that can be accelerated if the package tests pass. So this testing repository is like usually super up to date. And like if I'm running a development machine, I usually want to target Debian testing, not Debian stable. Uh, Debian stable, the sort of process uh, for releases is that every so often, and our current cadence is kind of like two-ish years, uh, we decide that we're going to cut a new release and what we want is like the least buggy possible thing of things that all work together kind of thing. Uh, so at some point we issue what's called a freeze and no new things can go into testing. And we work to ensure that like we reduce the bug count and particularly the serious bug count to as small a number as possible. And then once we're really happy with that, uh, we turn testing into stable, we turn unstable into testing and we we move on. So that is the Debian release process. Uh, so a, a lot of the time when people are complaining about like, oh, the package versions are so old, they're like using Debian stable, but they don't necessarily have to be doing that. Ubuntu, on the other hand, uses a uh, like calendar cycle release cycle. So they always depend, uh, they take their packages directly out of Debian unstable. And then, you know, they, they have like their packages uh, on top of that. Sometimes they modify things, sometimes they don't. Uh, in the case of all the Debian closure packages, uh, those are totally unmodified. They go straight into Ubuntu as is. Uh, and so they just like basically say, you know, on a certain calendar cycle, you know, they're cutting a release. And so there's a very brief freeze. 
Uh, and then they go and release, you know, uh, their cadence right now is like they release in April and uh, in, I guess, uh, uh, October. October, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so the, the like dot oh four and the dot ten releases uh, and every two years they cut a what they call a long term support release. And those are kind of the ones that people are on forever and have the old outsta- uh, outdated versions. So I was super excited to get line again 2.8.1 into the most recent Ubuntu LTS release, which was 18.04. Uh, and so now, you know, I guess four years down the road, everybody's going to be using line again 2.8.1. And they're going to be like, this is old and it sucks. I'm like, yeah, but it works with the rest of your system. And if you don't want to do that, you can upgrade to a newer distribution. Is there a way, you know, I like stable systems, you know, I don't really necessarily want to run uh, Debian testing in production, but I, maybe there's, you know, I just want to run, you know, the, the newest version of Line again. Everything else can be, you know, stable and uh, safe and old, but I want just like one or two specific packages that are newer. Is there a way to sort of opt in, opt out of this for specific packages, or is it a sort of a whole system type thing? Yeah, so uh, I mean, for something like Linegan, it gets very complicated just because Linegan has so many dependencies, but uh, there's this system called backports, which I sort of mentioned briefly in passing earlier, where if you're running a stable release, but you want some newer packages, it's optional for the package maintainer to basically take like the newer version that's in testing and upload them to what we call uh, like stable backports. And so, for example, say you're on Debian stable, and I've uploaded Linegan 2.9.0, which doesn't exist yet, but will in the future, you really want that. Uh, and it's got all these cool new features. So I might upload uh, Linegan 2.9.0 to, uh, to stable backports, and then you would be able to add the backports repository and install just that package if you so wish. I mean, you could also install it from upstream or in a Docker image. There's nothing stopping you from doing that either. I know at like an enterprise level, frequently using operating system packages is not the best choice. But, you know, wh- whatever floats your boat. Why do you say that? What's different in an enterprise? Well, put, putting on like more of my like, uh, like, I guess, pragmatist hat at work, like the majority of software that like I work on Kubernetes uh, sort of full-time maintaining some relatively large clusters and like everything we deploy in Kubernetes has to be in a Docker image. And so like, even though Docker images, like most of them are secretly Debian based under the hood, you know, I can install whatever the heck I want in there. And, you know, that sort of like build artifact, which is not the same as an OS package is like a totally reasonable thing for me to deploy at work. I've got this whole big ecosystem of things to support it. I've got this nice deployment system, like the industry understands it. So, like, it's totally reasonable, I think, for me to say, eh, OS packages are sort of a pain in the butt. We're not going to use them. Uh, I'm going to use Docker for, you know, closure at work. Uh, and at my previous job, we did do that. I was sort of hoping that the uh, the Docker images for closure would get updated to use the installation from uh, the Debian repos as opposed to the... Uh, as opposed to, like, you know, sort of downloading it from upstream and doing the sort of shell and install thing. But... Uh, a stable release hasn't been cut yet, and they're based on Debian stable. So uh, perhaps when uh, the new release buster comes out, that will change. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got a really good relationship with Linegan, but do you want to talk a little bit more about sort of the relationship generally between upstream projects and uh, package maintainers? Yeah, for sure. 
so I, I like I'm super thankful that uh, my relationship with Wine Again is great as a project because uh, it's a very complex project. And if they were not cooperative on certain things, it would be very difficult, I think, or much more time consuming to get certain things done. Uh, not naming any names, this is not a closure ecosystem project, but uh, recently a JavaScript project came to my attention where Debian has this reproducible builds project where they're trying to get a bunch of packages to have byte for byte identical binary builds for verification purposes. Uh, and in order to do that, they have sort of this common base. And there's certain sources of like randomness that can cause builds to not be byte for byte identical. And there was this like random JavaScript package that uh, like basically was like generating like a random string or something in order to hide a private interface. And Debian reached out to them and they were like, hey, like, can we like seed this or something so it's not random every time? Like, we would love to be able to build this reproducibly while still like keeping your constraints in mind. And that upstream maintainer was very upset about this. And like, they basically said, I don't care. And people shouldn't be installing things from distros anyways. Like, you're all <laughs> old and all the packages <laughs> suck. And, like, I refuse to patch this out because like, I'm, you know, showing my users what's good for them by not letting them use this private field. And so like, you know, to heck with you, Debian, like, I don't care. Patch it yourselves. Uh, and so like, that's kind of the relationship I would like to avoid. Uh, I certainly have not had that experience with anyone in the closure ecosystem. Probably, I, I've had some fun uh, interactions, but uh, not so much like actively hostile or anything like that. Uh, one time I was asking uh, Alex Miller for help building uh, closure 1.9 because I'm like looking at it, I'm like closure 1.9 depends on like spec alpha, which depends on closure 1.9. How does that supposed to work? Uh, and so I like went through the release history and discovered that like at some point they had split closure 1.9 from one jar into three jars. And there was like a release, there was a build dependency on like this closure 1.9 alpha 15 or something like that. I was like, hey, Alex, like, how does this work? And he's like, why are you building this from source? Like, why would anyone want to do that? Uh, just use our like built binaries. So I'm like... I understand, but also like it's very reasonable given that you're producing an open source project for other people to want to build it from source. So uh, long, long story short, I ended up figuring it out. Uh, I had to like upload some alpha release before I could actually get it built, but managed to sort of get the bootstrap working. And uh, uh, it, it was a, it's unfortunate sometimes when you have like an upstream maintainer who is like actively hostile, but upstream maintainer just being like, why would you want to do that? That's pretty common. Yeah, that's, uh, I can imagine that you'd have some interesting uh, times there with different people. So we talked a lot about Line again, but there's, you know, a couple of other build tools that are pretty popular in the Clojure ecosystem. Uh, so kind of what's your, what's the story with uh, boot and tools depths and the CLJ tool and that sort of, uh, some of the alternative stuff there? Sure. Yeah. So boot, uh, I've never used boot. Uh, I think I probably will not use boot given that I'm not writing a lot of closure software these days. And most boot projects in my experience have had some level of line again, uh, compatibility. So that's been good in the sense that like, well, at least we have this one baseline tool. Tom Marble on the closure, uh, uh the Debian closure team has talked about packaging boot, uh, but I don't know if he's had time to work on that. For tools depths and the closure command line tool, I would love to work on that stuff. Uh, it's sort of like planned in my future if I can find the spare time to work on it. 
initially I was looking at tools depths and I was like, gosh, like this has so many dependencies. Like this is like Leinigan levels of dependencies. Like why does it have so many dependencies? And then I realized that like, like more than half of the dependencies were just for like private S3 Maven repos. And so at that point I was like, huh, like private S3 Maven repos, like this is Debian. Like, you know, I don't care about proprietary software. (laughs) So, um, you know, if someone would like to add that support, I would be totally happy for them to do that. I'm certainly not stopping them. uh, But my sort of game plan in order to avoid having to do twice as much work is to initially just patch that support out and say, this is not supported. If you want to implement it, please do. I will accept your patch. And to for the interim, uh, there's like, if I get rid of that, there's like four new packages, I think I need to upload, which would not be too, too much work. The other thing uh, that's sort of blocking that uh, is that tools depths alpha has like these Git dependencies, and that has a dependency on JGit. And JGit and Debian right now is super old and not maintained. I think it's not even in testing currently. So I've been sort of debating if I want to go fix that situation, or if I just want to cut Git dependency support. Uh, I'm not sure how widely it's being used. I'm sure that that's probably being used a lot more than the S3 Maven repos, at least in terms of like, you know, sort of end users as opposed to like corporate proprietary software. So something that I want to get the time to work on before the end of the year, before the next release, because I've definitely had some user requests to stop. Like we actually shipped a closure command line tool before closure upstream had one. So now some folks are like, Hey, the closure command line tool in Debian doesn't match upstream. Like, Oh, uh, people care about this now. Uh, that's cool. Uh, we should do something about that. But, uh, finding the spare time to go and like, it's not a trivial amount of work uh, and trying to get everything to work together. Like I'd hope that I could get it done in like a couple of weekends, putting a lot of work into it, but I also have some maintenance I need to do on existing packages. So, yeah. Uh, does the, the depths EDN format give you sort of any benefits? I guess it's a little bit more inspectable and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a data rather than a, a program like your project.clj is. Uh, does that kind of give you anything more with reproducibility or, Vision stuff, mm, or is I don't think it would give us much more in terms of reproducibility because fundamentally, like whether or not the way we're specifying dependencies changes, like the dependencies themselves are still effectively, hopefully, like fingers crossed, immutable artifacts, right? Like if I specify version 1.2.3 of thing, like that should always be the same thing and not change. Uh, so uh, from that sense, I'm not sure that we get more benefits there. Uh, I personally haven't actually uh, used the depths.edn format uh, yet. Uh, it would be interesting to try to poke around at some of that. I know that they support a lot more different types of dependency specification there uh, than one does in Linegan. But uh, mostly I would just, you know, love to have uh, Clojure and Debian be consistent with Clojure and Upstream and support the things that users want to do. And I've definitely heard a lot of interest in tool steps and the new Clojure command line tools. So working on it. Uh, one, one of the most interesting things is that the Clojure command line tools upstream repo is called like homebrew something or other. I'm like, well, this is not for homebrew. This is like generic random command line tools. So uh, it's clear that uh, upstream is uh, targeting uh, Mac OS X, but uh, we definitely hope to get that Linux support working a little better if at all possible. I mean, certainly they support Linux and I think Windows as well. Uh, but if we could get it in the package manager, it'd be even better. Nice. Uh, well, I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to mention before we finish up? 
I don't really think so. Uh, I would love to thank all of the folks who've worked on uh, Debian Java, Debian Closure. Uh, there are a lot of excellent people who have done a lot of work on that. Uh, I mentioned Tom Marble. Hopefully he will get some work done on boot. Uh, Rob Browning, the Emacs maintainer. Sean Witten works on a bunch of like Emacs plugins for Closure, like CIDR, I believe. Apollon, uh, long Greek last name, uh, username of Poikos, who worked on Puppet Server. All excellent people. Uh, and Emmanuel Borg, who like basically single-handedly sort of kept the Closure ecosystem above water for four years before I took it over. Uh, he has done really great work and was a super great mentor for me trying to figure out how to get this stuff working. And he was the one who figured out some of the last stages of the Linegan build where I was like totally stuck. So definitely a team effort, but goodness, I think I maintain over 25 packages now. So uh, it, is, uh, it is definitely an effort. Great. Well, thanks so much for all the, the hard work you do there. I, I can imagine not everyone realizes how much work is actually going in to get Linegan in there. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks. All right. See you later. See you.